0: Well, last week we started a series called One Another because no matter who you are, you've all got them. We've got family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, roommates, random strangers, and all the people on the other side of our social media. We've all got one another's and we're all trying to figure out how to one another well, how to relate to people in our lives well. And it may surprise you to know that one anothering is actually a specialty of the church, something that the church is supposed to be known for. Uh, Its founder, Jesus, famously said, these words right here, we talk about these a lot around our church, a new command I give you, love, here it is, one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. This is what the church is supposed to be known for. It's how you're supposed to be able to tell that there is a local church in the area because there's this group of people, or if it's big enough, there's this organization whose distinguishing mark, whose reputation in the community is that they want another really, really well. And while this has certainly been one of the things that has attracted so many people to Christianity through the centuries, it's also a secret sauce that has proven rather easy to lose. Because sometimes it's just easier for Christians to make church about our theology and our services rather than our one-anothering. I mean, sometimes it's just easier to make this command one of those things we smile and nod at in church, but don't actually apply to our lives. And this last season didn't help at all, did it? Whether it's from being cooped up at home or fighting with people about politics in the community— Our one-anothering, I mean, our one-another muscles have taken a beating. This last season was known for anything but good one-anothering. And so whether you feel like your one-another muscles have taken a beating or they're just a little bit atrophied from the isolation, uh, if you're anything like me, perhaps you need a little bit of a refresher course. And that's this series. This series is a call back to the basics, a call back to one-anothering the way Jesus commanded us to one another. And as we said last week, this isn't just for Jesus followers, we're talking about three practices that were we to start, resume, or accelerate doing them, they would instantly begin to make our lives better, our relationships healthier, our workplaces more productive, our reputations more positive, our influence as leaders, parents, and coaches uh, more powerful, our dialogue more constructive, and I believe our communities an even nicer place to live. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower, what we're uh, talking about today is doubly important for us because what we're talking about in this series is what we are supposed to be known for. It's what you're supposed to be famous for in your neighborhood, in your community, wherever it is that you are watching. And I believe that if we are not careful if we don't tune in in this season, that we're gonna risk losing our distinctive as Christians. We're gonna risk uh, missing out on an amazing opportunity to make Jesus famous for what he wants to be famous for. So we're spending some weeks directly addressing where we found ourselves on the other side of this pandemic and all that happened in between, and we're looking at how Jesus' command to love one another as he has loved us ought to impact, and I believe, completely change our words to one another, that was last week, our conflicts with one another, and the narratives that we tell about one another. And today, I wanna talk about our conflicts. And specifically, not just any conflicts, not just the conflicts that come and, that are, you know, that come and go, that are, are gone as soon as they arrive. I want to talk about the conflicts that linger. I want to talk about the conflicts that last. I want to talk about our grudges. And we all hold grudges. And by grudge, I don't mean like deep Seated hatred or necessarily like elaborate evil revenge plans. Now, by a grudge, I simply mean this right here, getting mad and staying mad at someone. Getting mad and staying mad at someone. I mean, it's like the time when your spouse snaps at you in front of your friends and there's no recognition, there's no apology. They just go to bed and they make the classic mistake of thinking that everything's going to be fine in the morning. <laughs> and we all know how that goes down. It's like, good morning. Hi. How are you doing? Fine. Is everything okay? Yeah? Sure. Is everything okay with you? Wait, What? what's wrong? What? What's wrong? The fact that you have to ask. That's what's wrong. I can't even do this right. That's a grudge, right? <laughs> Some of y'all weren't ready to get that real this morning. Uh, or, like at work, it's like when your coworker starts talking trash about you in the break room and you hear about it, and you're like, mm. and now you're avoiding this person, you're trying to keep them out of meetings if you can. And for the last month, everything in your mind has been a competition. And you're like, that's right, Randy, these sales numbers don't look like someone who's not gonna be here very long. You're not gonna be here very long, haha. <laughs> you know, that's a grudge. Or it happens on social media all the time, like when somebody makes a snarky or insulting comment about you, and maybe they don't even tag you, and you're like, oh no, you did not. And now you are 23 comments deep with this person, and you're getting friends to help you craft responses, right? Anybody done that? I've done that. Uh, That's a grudge, right? The uh, dictionary definition of a grudge is this, a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a perceived injury or offense. And we all hold grudges, with the people in our lives. Some of us for days, some of us for weeks, some of us for months. But we all hold them, why? Because grudges feel good. I mean, grudges just kinda, they feel right, at least on the surface, right? Like, ooh, I'm gonna get him, oh, I'm gonna show her, they're gonna get what's coming to them. I mean, we may not like to admit it, but grudges kinda feel good. That's why we all tend to hold them. But there's just one problem with holding grudges, they don't actually work. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that holding a grudge doesn't really work? Here's how I know that. Because many of us are still holding on to one. Like you picked up a grudge days ago or weeks ago or months ago, and you're still holding it. Like whatever it was supposed to accomplish, it clearly hasn't accomplished. You're still unhappy, they're still unhappy. You're still hurt, they're still hurt. The only thing that's changed is the date on the calendar. But number two, I have never in all of my life heard a happy grudge story. You ever heard a happy grudge story? No, like you've never heard somebody go, man, my friend and I got in the biggest fight and we were mad at each other for a month. It was awesome, you know? No one's like, oh, my mother-in-law and I like hate each other because she's always always trying to tell us how to parent our kids. I love the holidays, you know? Nobody ever says that. No one's ever grateful for a grudge. No one celebrates a grudge. It is always unpleasant and it is always detrimental. Why? Because getting mad and staying mad at someone, it doesn't just affect them, does it? Who does it affect? Yeah, you and me. I mean, we hold a grudge under the premise that we're gonna get them back, but we're the ones thinking about it. We're the ones angry about it. We're the ones distracted by it. We're the ones having those imaginary conversations with them in our heads. Isn't it weird how we all do that? I know you do it too. We're the ones dealing with day two anger or like week two anger. You know what day two anger is? Like when you thought you were just frustrated but then you went to bed and let it simmer. And then you woke up a hot mess, you know? And you're like kicking the dog. You're irritated at the kids. You're snapping at your spouse. You're distracted the whole workday plotting this other person's destruction. And by the time you come home, you are like emotionally and mentally exhausted. And this whole time, what has your grudge actually done to the other person? Yeah, like basically nothing. I mean, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, having fun with it, but I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. Because there's a sinister thing about a grudge. And it's this right here. The sinister thing about a grudge is that the more you hold onto a grudge, the more it has a hold on you. Isn't that true? The more you hold on to a grudge, the more it has a hold on you. And this is why every single one of us in the room has seen a grudge make home miserable, a friendship awkward, a workplace tense. And it's why every one of us could recount a story of a time when a grudge ripped family members or friends or work, you know, coworkers, or most recently a nation apart. I mean, truly, I can't remember a time in my life when grudges felt more prominent than they have in this last season. Like this last year has been marked by a significant uptick in persistent feelings of ill will resulting from a perceived injury or offense. I mean, as individuals, we spent the last year cooped up at home with like work life and personal life stacked on top of each other. Uh, perhaps you were isolated, or perhaps you were managing kids running around you know in the back of your zoom calls, and your spouse suddenly there twenty four, seven, you know? And then as a nation, we, we went through a health crisis, a racial crisis, a presidential election, and battle lines were drawn in like almost every arena. And, and if you're like me, you felt it on both fronts. You were faced with an unprecedented number of opportunities to get at odds with people at home, even though you loved them dearly while simultaneously being offered by the news or social media, or maybe your group text, an unprecedented number of reasons to get at odds with somebody in the community. Y'all, we have spent the last year being set up for or even baited towards holding grudges of one kind or another. And I suspect we all got them. In fact, I bet you're thinking of one right now. They come to mind pretty quick. I bet you're thinking of a person or a group of people or a category of people. I am. And whether it is a deep-seated, lasting grudge or it's simply the ups and downs of everyday relationships fresh off a pandemic, I suspect we're all holding grudges of some kind. And I also suspect that they are holding grudges us right back and they are hurting our relationships and stealing our joy and robbing our focus and disrupting our community and undermining our influence and deep down we all know that's a problem i mean i think we all know that our standard approach to conflict like as a culture it isn't getting us where we or where god wants us to be and I think we all know that, but if you're anything like me, I bet many of us also feel a little stuck. And here's why. Because many of us have probably spent most of our lives developing in this last season, entrenching a dangerous habit when it comes to our conflicts. A habit that sustains conflict rather than diffuses it. A habit that all but ensures that conflicts will turn into grudges that get a hold on us. And until we as a culture, and we as individuals, and we as friends and families, until we change this habit, we are going to have a very difficult time having the relationships that we're all hoping for, the national dialogue and the sense of unity that we're all eager for, or even the personal peace and joy that we're all looking for. But church family, to take it a step further until or unless we change this habit, we're never gonna be known for what we're supposed to be known for. Because it is impossible, not just difficult, it is impossible to love one another the way Jesus has loved us while indulging this specific habit that we're gonna talk about today. And so in the name of that, I would like to invite us and encourage us this morning to consider and put into practice a revolutionary approach to our conflicts given to us by the Apostle Paul, a pro, an approach that has the power to break the hold of grudges on our lives or on our families or on our friend groups or on our uh, workplaces and on our country. And as with the principle last week, whether you are religious or not, if you will start doing what I'm about to read to you, it will immediately begin to make your life and your relationships in our community better, I promise. But if you are a Jesus follower, what I'm about to read to you and to us is not optional for us because it is right at the epicenter of Jesus's command to us as a church. And it's found in Paul's letter to a church at the center of a political power, a cultural debate, a city full of diversity and division and political intrigue. It's found in Paul's letter to the church in Rome and he says to them these words. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of others. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. The implied context here is that somebody has done evil to you. Someone's wronged you, someone has offended you. And for starters, It's nice to, kinda just nice to hear Paul acknowledge and recognize that what the person did to you was evil. Like We like seeing that word right there. Uh, Thank you, that's nice. He's not like, ah, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, no. What she said to you was evil. What he did to you was evil, or at least how it made you feel or the impact that it had on your life, That was evil. And that's really important as we start this conversation that the starting point this morning isn't, oh, get over it, or oh, forget about it. No, no, no. The starting point is a recognition that you have a legitimate reason to be upset. You have a legitimate reason to want revenge. You have a legitimate reason to hold a grudge. And I love that. I appreciate that. But perhaps even more importantly, Paul recognizes and even calls out that our first inclination in any situation is to repay evil, with evil, to repay an offense with an offense. And that's the habit that we're talking about today. We have both a natural inclination and a practiced habit of repaying evil with evil. And it's a habit that starts way early in life. I mean, you remember being a kid. I've got four of them. I see it all the time. When somebody punches you, you punch them back harder. When somebody knocks your blocks over, you knock them over. When somebody insults you, you insult their mom. I mean, that's just how it goes. It's as basic and as instinctive as it gets. And it's not like there's a point in life when we suddenly trade out that habit for a new one. No, you might get more mature, your, your thresholds might get higher. Your revenge mechanisms might become more sophisticated and more veiled, you know, instead of actually hitting somebody, maybe you just are cold or manipulative or sarcastic or whatever. But no, 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 barring intervention, this habit doesn't go away. It just grows up. And that's why it's a habit that we have all probably spent most of our lives developing and many of us have spent the last season entrenching in our lives. We repay evil for evil. And God, through the apostle Paul says, you gotta stop that. Don't do that. You've gotta break this habit. Why? Because revenge never happens like you think it's gonna happen. It never works like you think it will. Have you ever realized this? Like you think, here's what we always think. I'll get revenge and then we'll be what? Even, and then it'll be over. <laughs> but that never happens. Like it's never just evil for evil because when you repay evil for evil, what does the other person then repay you with? Yeah, gift cards and a back massage. No, more evil, right? And so it becomes evil for evil for evil for evil for evil until it looks something like this. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is what a grudge looks like, evil for evil for evil, offense for offense for offense. And some of you are like, that looks familiar. You're like, hey, that's Twitter. Yeah, that's Twitter. (laughs) Hey, that's like the nightly news. Hey, that's politics. Yeah, it kind of feels like it sometimes. Or maybe some of you are like, man, I've, I've had some days that looked like that this last year at home. Yeah, I think, I think we all did. Or man, that was my friend group last month. Major drama going on. Or that's what work feels like now. Or hey, that's what happens when my extended family gets together. Yeah. Some of us have had days like this. Some of you have had months like this. And some of you are going on years. Caught in a cycle of evil for evil. Offense for offense for offense for offense. And that, by the way, is exactly what we end up building. We end up building fences with our offenses. A friend of mine saw this illustration, and I just had to show it today because it captures so clearly what happens when we do this. When we get in the cycle of offense for offense for offense, we end up building fences. And this is what it looks like like, you do evil to me. Well, I'm offended, and I'm gonna repay evil for evil. That's the only play I got in my playbook. So, you know what? That text should do the trick right there. Get in there. But no, that's not enough for you, because now you're offended, and you repay my repayment with more of the same evil. And it's like, are you kidding me? That's not okay. I didn't start this. I don't deserve this. And I'm so offended at how you're handling this that I cannot leave it unaddressed. So you know what? You're getting the cold shoulder. There you go. I'm not even talking to you anymore. Like we're done for a minute. I'm over you, whatever. But you can't let that slide because people are watching. So what do you start doing? You start running your mouth. You start talking to people, triangulate, and you start like trying to win our friends over to your side, like their sides. And it's like, since when do we do that? That's so offensive. I mean, it's so immature. Are you kidding me? And, and, but you know what? I don't know when you thought that that was okay, but I'm gonna respond in kind. I mean, you bat me into a corner. I'm not gonna be the one who loses friends over this. You're gonna be the one who loses friends over this. So, you know, you're just gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> oh, Oh, so now you're gonna post on social media about it. That's super mature. I mean, good night, how petty. But hey, you know what? Two can play that game, bro. Um, I can also post a Bible verse and everybody knows that I'm really talking about you. So let's just go ahead and do that right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some of y'all have done that. Um, and now we're in a rhythm, aren't we? Now we're, now we're, in, a, we're in a rhythm. You offend me? I offend you. You offend me, I offend you. You offend me, I offend you. And before we know it, before even some days or some weeks have passed, we have traded offense for offense, for offense, for offense, and we are literally fenced in by our offenses. Does this look familiar? Yeah, in fact, I bet we, we could go around the room right now if we had the time, and like each one of us, you could give your own version of this in your family or in one of your friendships or in your workplace or on your social media account or just what you've seen happening in our nation this past year. Stories of offense for offense for offense for offense. Because this is what we do. We build fences with our offenses. And my question to you this morning is just simply that. Who's on the other side of your fence right now? Who's on the other side of a fence from you right now? What relationship have you allowed to get fenced in by your offenses? What arena of life has been nagged by just chronic fence building this past year? Who's on the other side of your fence? And you know what's sad? You know what's so sad? Is that for so many of us in the room, the answer is people we care about. It's people we care about. Like so many of us in the room would go, yeah, it's me and my spouse right now. Not like we're in crisis, but we've just gotten in this rut of building petty little fences. As soon as we tear one down, we just build another one. I mean, oh, it stinks, so annoying. So many of us in the room would say, man, that's a family member of mine. It's like my cousin or my brother or my mother or whatever. And and, and y'all make it work and you do love each other. But for a while, there's just been this right here. And you're like, man, I miss how it used to be. It's like, ah. So many of us in the room would say, yeah, it's a friend. It's a friend of yours. And it is such a shame. I mean, it is such a shame because you guys are so close or at least you were, but somehow you got fenced in. So many of us in the room would say it's a coworker. And it's just so irritating because you guys should be allies. I mean, everybody knows you'd be an incredible support to one another, but nah, this is just what work looks like now. Wow, oh, so many of us, me, me included, so many of us are, have, have like fenced ourselves off from people we care about. And it's such a shame. It's so sad. But you wanna know what I think is even worse? For those of us who are Jesus followers, for many of us who are Jesus followers, the answer is that we have fenced ourselves off of not just people we care about, we fenced ourselves off from people we're called to care for. Because we're the people who are supposed to be known for loving one another as Jesus has loved us. We're the people who are supposed to be known by how we one another, but many of us have allowed ourselves to be fenced off from the very people we're called to care for. Like some of us right now have an entire category of people on the other side of this fence. People who believe differently from us, voted differently from us, value things very differently from us, and they have a name and a category and and, and they're a them and the fences are long and reinforced. But most of us also just have normal people over there. Like, People who inconvenience us or irritate us or annoy us or just random acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers, friends that we technically don't care enough about to deal with this. Church family, many of us have allowed ourselves to be fenced off from people we are called to care for and we're too busy fighting with them to join Jesus in caring for them. And I think Jesus is going, come on, come on. This is how they're supposed to know. This is how they're supposed to know that you follow me. Oh man, no matter who you are, we, so many of us, we are fencing ourselves off from people we care for, care about, and people we're called to care for. We're fencing ourselves off from people we care about and people that we're called to care for and it has got to stop. We want it to stop. And so for starters, the apostle Paul is simply suggesting an interruption. He's suggesting that we interrupt the cycle of evil for evil. He's saying, hey, I don't know how long your line normally is, but it's something like evil for evil for evil for evil for blank. And now here's you. Or there's where you're gonna be with your spouse or your friend or your coworker or somebody on social media one day soon. And Paul is saying, for starters, I just want you to decide not to put evil in the blank. I just want you to decide that I'm not gonna continue the cycle. I'm not gonna continue with this habit. I'm not gonna put evil, I'm not gonna put get even, I'm not gonna put hold a grudge in the blank. To which everyone's natural reaction is, "Mm." I mean, that doesn't really feel right. I mean, did you see what they did? Have you seen their offenses? What about them? To which Paul responds, this isn't about them. Here's what this is about. This is what he says next. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This isn't about them. This is about you. This is about you doing your part for peace as far as it depends on you. And revenge is not your part. Look what he says next. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And y'all, this is where God's probably gonna get most up in your business this morning, so I apologize in advance. But the Apostle Paul is quoting God directly as recorded in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament where God says, "I, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And this is the part of the passage that ought to give us extraordinary peace about this really awkward, hard, and countercultural thing that Paul is inviting us to do. Because he says, When you do not take revenge, Paul's saying somebody far more capable gets involved. God says, I will repay. I will personally respond to the evil done to you. Now question, who do you think is better at getting revenge? You or God? You can talk in our church, it's okay. Yeah, God is way better than you at getting revenge. I mean, we all intuitively understand that. But not only that, God knows how to do it right. Because you see, when you and I respond to evil, all we usually ever wanna do is hurt. All we ever wanna do is hurt back, hit back, insult back, steal back, offend back. All you and I know to do is hurt, but God, God knows how to heal. And God wants to heal you and God wants to heal this situation and God wants to heal the other person. God is way better at responding to evil than you or I will ever be. But we gotta look what it says. We gotta leave room. We gotta leave room. So some, so many of us, were so set on getting revenge and repaying evil for evil that there's no room for God to get in and do his thing. And God is like, get out of my way. Quit taking my job. Leave room for me. I'll handle it. And when we do, when we do not take revenge but leave room for God, our hands become free to do something else, something incredibly powerful. And what Paul says next is the main point of this passage and is the main point of today. He says to these Romans, this church in Rome, he says, Do not be overcome with evil. Our way of holding grudges and repaying evil for evil, it pretty much ensures that it is gonna overcome us. Why? Because the more you hold onto a grudge, the more it has a hold on you and your family or your friends or your coworkers in our community. But it is not the only option. There is another option, and it is the secret for breaking this habit in our lives. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with Good. Overcome evil with good. Have you ever seen sweetness diffuse someone's saltiness? Have you ever seen a hug dissipate an argument? Have you ever seen an act of service fall an icy tension? Or have you ever seen owning and apologizing turn enemies into friends? You seen that? That's how you break the cycle of a grudge. That's how you stop evil in its tracks. When it's your turn, you don't keep building the fence, you start taking it apart. You start saying, when you do evil to me, I'm gonna do good to you. And when you do evil to me again, I'm gonna do good to you again. And when you keep doing evil to me, I'm gonna keep doing evil to you. In fact, no matter what you do, I've already decided, I already know how I'm gonna respond. As far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on me, I'm gonna live at peace. I'm gonna do good. I'm not gonna let this evil overcome me, and I am not gonna let this evil overcome us. I'm gonna do good to you, because you're someone I care about, or at a minimum, you are someone that I am called to care for, so I am gonna overcome this evil with the only thing in the world that can overcome it. I'm gonna overcome it with good. And now all of a sudden, you realize that you built something different. Because I no longer have a fence, I no longer have a barrier. What do I have? Yeah. I got a bridge. I've just built a bridge. And now all of a sudden, peace is possible. Now all of a sudden, reconciliation is possible. Now all of a sudden, healing is possible at least as far as it depends on me. And now all of a sudden, like we have a chance. No matter how small it is, we have a chance as a family or we have a chance as friends or we got a chance as coworkers or we have a chance as a nation to start telling a different story from even evil for evil for evil for evil. Now we got a chance. But it'll only happen if you and I decide to be bridge builders rather than fence builders. It's only gonna happen if you and I decide, start building bridges rather than barriers. This is the habit. This is the habit that we're gonna have to change if what Paul is describing to the Romans is ever gonna be true of, us, we're gonna have to realize that there is only one way in the whole wide world to keep evil from overcoming us, and that is to overcome it with good. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And y'all, we have a heavenly father who overcame the devil himself and his hold on our lives and he didn't do it with evil. He didn't do it with hate. He didn't do it with darkness. He did it by the light and the love of Jesus Christ who died for us on a cross. The worst day in history for evil was the greatest day in history for good, the greatest demonstration in history of good. God overcame our worst by giving us his best and he's inviting us to join him. He's inviting us to join him and let go of this toxic cycle of vengeance in our homes, in our friendships, in our workplaces, and in our nation and start overcoming evil with good. And this is part two or three of how I wanna invite us and encourage us, me included, to become famous for loving one another. I want us to become known by this verse. I want us to be different from our culture because we practice this verse, delightfully distinct from the trends because we normalize this approach to conflict wherever we go. I'm hoping that many of us decide right here, right now, that we're gonna start turning our barriers into bridges. And look, I realize that this is one of those things that is, it's very easy for me to say from stage, but it's a whole different ball game when it comes to actually applying it to a relationship in the world. It's one thing to say it in here, it's a whole different thing to do it out there. And I know, I, I, I know that. In here, I hope at least, this is gonna feel really inspiring. But I just wanna acknowledge that out there, What it's really gonna feel like is this. It's gonna feel risky. It's gonna feel risky because when you repay evil with good, there's a chance that they will not reciprocate. There's a chance that they will keep right on going. And we're gonna have to remember that it is not about them. It is not about what they do. It is about as far as it depends on me live at peace. And though it is risky, I would submit that it is even more risky to let a grudge linger around and start to sink its claws into you and the people you love. Not only is it gonna feel risky though, it's also gonna feel unfair. Oh man, it's gonna feel unfair. The other person is never going to deserve you to repay their evil with good. It's always going to feel really, really unfair. But I hope that we remember that what's more unfair is that somebody who hurt you would continue to have a hold on you. What's more unfair is that a grudge would start to negatively impact your family or your friends or your productivity or your joy or your hopes and dreams. That's more unfair. But lastly, just keeping it real. That's also going to feel weak. It's going to feel like someone is, you know, just running over you. And on this point, I hope you will not misunderstand. This is not a call to let somebody take advantage of you. No way. You can do good while still having guardrails and boundaries and protections in place. Absolutely. Furthermore, this is not a call to just let evil run amok, let evil go unopposed. No way. You can do good while still taking a stand against evil and still being undeterred and unwavering and even loud about it, 100%. And of course, the bigger an evil gets, the more nuanced and complicated it becomes to overcome Overcome that evil with good, but I believe we can do it. We've done it before, and I believe that together and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it again. So, yes, building bridges rather than barriers will absolutely feel and be risky, unfair, and it'll feel weak, which is why so few people do it. But if you and I will decide to be different, to put a countercultural approach, over our conflicts, on our conflicts, we will discover the secret of achieving a countercultural result in our lives. We will discover the secret of how not to be overcome by evil, but how to overcome it with good. And so even though these things are absolutely true, I'm hoping that many of you are gonna decide today to start building bridges rather than barriers. But if you are a Jesus follower, this is not optional for you. Because these things right here, to Jesus, are not obstacles. To Jesus, these things right here are amazing opportunities. These are amazing opportunities to show the world what it means to love one another as he has loved us. Because yeah, this is risky, but our savior risked everything for us. Jesus laid down his life. He left heaven and laid down his life while we were still sinners. Jesus risked everything for me without any indication that I would do anything for him. Jesus is not deterred by risky. And it's also gonna feel unfair, but hello, unfair is our story. I mean, are you kidding me? We all have different stories in this room, but as Christians, the one thing we have in common, it's the overwhelming, never-ending, mind-blowing grace of God. It's the idea that long before I loved him, he loved me. Long before I ever wanted him, he wanted me. Long before I ever did anything for him, he paid for me. And no matter how many days I spent running away from him, he kept running after me. And here I stand today, alive, forgiven, and free. And I didn't do a thing to earn it, but trust the Savior who did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Jesus is not deterred by unfair. And hey, you know what? It's gonna look and feel weak. But that's exactly what they said to Jesus as he hung on a cross. You're weak. And then three days later, his strength overwhelmed the grave and death lost its hold on you and me. This is how Jesus has loved us. He overcame evil with good. And it was risky and it was unfair and it was weak, but evil (laughs) cowered before him. And he said, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Go love one another. This is how they're gonna know. This is how they're gonna know that you're my followers. This is how they're gonna know how much I love them. And y'all, the best way to let the world know How much Jesus loves them isn't simply to tell them, it's to show them. It's to decide that we're gonna start turning our barriers into bridges and we're gonna leave vengeance to God. So what do you say, church? Church, what do you say we decide right here, right now to start repaying evil with good and let's see if our heavenly father does not in fact overcome it? What do you say we start becoming famous for loving one another as Jesus has loved us? And in the name of that, as I close, I'd just like to give you a couple of practical ways that you can start building a bridge. A couple of very specific things that you could actually use as a board in your bridge. uh, Very practical ways to start repaying evil with good right now, right wherever you are in a relationship with somebody. And we're gonna post these on social media so you don't have to like write them down, but here, here they are. Number one, let's go quickly and go directly. Like when there's a conflict, let's go quickly and go directly to the person. We're not gonna talk to other people. We're not gonna post on social media. We're gonna go straight to them. Uh, Number two, be quick to forgive. Be quick to renounce your right and your plans to take revenge. It's amazing how this one simple decision can completely change your demeanor towards somebody. Doesn't mean they continue to hurt you or that you continue to trust them, but you just decide I'm not getting vengeance. Number three, uh, own your part. Let's be people who own our part. In almost every situation, there's a piece of the pie that belongs to me that's my fault. Let's be the people who let them know to them to say, here's my part of the pie. And before I uh, confront you with your part, I'm gonna confront you with mine. Let's do that. Number uh, four, let's speak well of them. When everybody runs into their sides in the ruts of speaking uh, you know, ill about those who've offended them, let's weirdly be the people who are speaking well of our enemies. Uh, you know, we may vent in private, but publicly we're gonna speak well. Let's serve them. This is actually the example the Apostle Paul gives in the passage, um, but let's like, do good to them. You could just do good to someone, be generous in some way, help in some way with no strings attached, or finally, pray for someone. Pray for them. Let's be the people who pray for those on the other side of our fence. Pray for God's will to be done, pray for healing, pray for the situation and offer yourself to participate in whatever God wants to do. And in so doing, you can start building a bridge. And this last one right here, this is where I would like for us all to start right now. Would you be willing to join me this summer, pick one relationship with somebody in your life who's on the other side of your fence and just start praying for them. Because y'all, it is really, really difficult to do evil to somebody that you're praying for. And who knows, maybe just maybe your prayers will change the situation. Maybe just maybe your prayers will change their heart, but most definitely your prayers will begin to change your heart, your prayers will begin to prime your heart to apply this verse in that relationship and start building a bridge rather than a barrier. Would you be willing to join me this summer, pick one relationship and just start praying for them every day and if not every day, pray for them every week and see what God does. So that's the question I wanna end on. Who in your life right now most needs a bridge? Who in your life is on the other side of a fence from you And they are just as exhausted, just as offended, just as hurt, and just as discouraged, probably secretly wishing for a bridge, but having no idea how to start building one because they only got the habit that we all grew up with. What if you went first? What if in Jesus' name, you just went first and you see if it isn't true that you can in fact overcome evil with good? That's how we can, that's how we need to, that's how as Christians we are called to love one another, let's go start turning our barriers in to bridges. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, I pray that you would uh, prompt our hearts this morning with someone, someone who's on the other side of a fence. And then you would break our hearts for what could happen if we just decided to go first and start building a bridge rather than a barrier. And so I pray for us that we would see something miraculous happen in that very relationship this summer because we started praying for them and then we started acting on whatever it is that you put in front of us next to do to repay evil with good. And we do pray that in Jesus' name, we would not be overcome with evil. Our families would not be overcome with evil. Our friends would not become overcome with evil. Our workplaces, our nation would not, in Jesus' name, be overcome with evil. But instead, you would use us to overcome it with good. Please do that.